welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 1st of August 2010, entitled, What He Did, He Did For Us. And the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'm going to begin first of all this evening in the book of Romans chapter 5. Of course, this evening as we as a church come around the Lord's table, Remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Really, I guess this evening's sermon is more of a meditation. Just a very simple thought this evening as we just simply try to remember our Lord. Simply this, what He did, He did for us. What He did, He did for us. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for adventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Much more than having now, having much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. With when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Father, as we are gathered this evening in your house, Lord, to look into your word once again, we truly pray, Lord, that through the power of your Spirit that you would take and allow these words to, Father, find a resting place in our hearts, not just words that we can hear and recognize with our mind, but, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. You know the hearts of each and every individual here this evening. And, Father, our purpose this evening is that Jesus Christ would be magnified, that He would be glorified in our midst. And Lord, we just pray that as we look at these passages, that that might be so. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Amen. Of course, oftentimes even a familiar verse when we are dealing with lost folks about their salvation and their need to be saved. Romans 5.8 is one of those passages on the Romans road that we would take them to, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he did it for us. He did everything that God required, and he did it all. For us, we find that 
that which he did for us was everything that was necessary that we might be able to be justified in the sight of a holy God, just as if we had never sinned. We find that as we look at this verse here, I want you to just simply remember that what he did for us, what he did, he did for us. He was a substitute for us. We find that in John chapter 15, verse 13, going along with what we've just read here, said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, in this life, we do see things sometimes where the people are willing to give their lives for someone else. We find this particularly true when it is maybe somebody that they love dearly that without thinking they would be willing to do that. But our text tells us that, you know, that it's while we were God's enemies, it's while we were yet sinners that he was willing to die for us. You know, it's one thing for somebody to be willing to lay down their life for a friend, but to be willing to lay down your life for someone that is your enemy. We find that that is a tremendous show of love. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Of course, Peter preaching, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God amongst you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. You see, the truth is, is that Jesus Christ was a substitute for us when he died upon that cross. But what makes it even greater is the fact that God had planned precisely that that's exactly what his son would come and do, that he would come and give himself and die for you and I. The prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before Calvary, he wrote these familiar words in Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 7. He said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. It's amazing. Isaiah was absolutely, positively clear 
about what Jesus came to do, even though that he was writing about it 700 years before Jesus came to this earth. Why? Because God used him as a prophet. And all of God's prophecy is always accurate, (laughs) right down to the very letter. It couldn't have been any clearer if it had been written after the crucifixion. Why? Because it was in the predetermined counsel of God Almighty exactly what was going to happen, what Jesus Christ was coming to do, what was required of Him, what He would come and do when He came to be a substitute for us. One of the things that many times I've heard people question, especially as we read in the New Testament, that when Isaiah said here, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. People say, well, why didn't Jesus defend himself? Why didn't he explain it? We know that he was sinless, and yet he stood there and took all of their accusations and never once tried to defend himself, Brother Steve. Why would Jesus do that? With simple folks, really. Because Jesus wasn't on trial for himself. Jesus was on trial for us. He could easily have defended himself, but he was standing there as a substitute for you and I. He was bearing our sins. And so as he stood there, he stood there as a guilty man for you and I in our place. John chapter 3 verse 18 says, He that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus did it all. And yet all that's required of you and I to forego that condemnation that was rightfully ours is to put our faith and trust in the one that was there as our substitute. I want you to know that what he did, he did for us. When he died upon the cross, he was a substitute for us. When he died upon the cross, he was a sacrifice for us. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. He was there as our substitute, but he was there as our sacrifice, the one that was required for us, not for him. You see, anybody can come and claim to be a Messiah. Anybody can come and claim to be of God, and many have made many, many claims in this world. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 13 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. 
that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The truth is, is that, first of all, it comes to that simple thing of belief. The Word of God says that we have to confess with our mouths that the Lord Jesus Christ, he not only died upon the cross, but that he was raised from the dead. He goes on to say, for with the heart, Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus Christ died on the cross. And he died there. He died for us. He died for each and every one of us that is present right here this evening. And he did it as a substitute for us. But he did it as a sacrifice. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, God spoke that when Jesus was just beginning his ministry. We know that he was pleased with him then. But, Brother Steve, we know with certainty that he was pleased with the sacrifice that he gave because he rose the third day. <laughs> if, there's still, if there had not been enough sacrifice for the sin, for all that was due, then the grave would have held him because the wages of sin is death. Nobody could bypass that. But the truth is, the sacrifice was sufficient. Now, in this text here in Ephesians 5, 5, 2, it's telling us, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and was a sacrifice for us, that it ought to influence our walk of love. It ought to affect us and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. And, of course, he proved that love by what he did. We also find in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. See, he was a substitute for us, but he was a sacrifice for us. That ought to affect the way we love him, but it ought to affect the way that we love one another. Not only should it have an influence on our walk of love, but he says here, it ought to have an influence on the way that we live. Purge out that old leaven, he says that you might be a new love. Get rid of that sin. When we think upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us, it ought to influence us in living godly lives for him. It ought to influence us in our love one for another and for him. You find that Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, listen, 
hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Just as surely as that sacrifice was sufficient for God and that it was proved when Jesus Christ rose from the grave that third day that everything, everything that was required of God, it had been met. But the Bible says now, just as surely as he overcame that, that in him, you and I have an inheritance with him as well. An inheritance that nothing can touch. An inheritance that nothing can take away from us. Hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we have that hope of looking forward to. That's why we can have that assurance of what we've got in our inheritance in heaven for all of eternity. Because our Savior, what he did, he did for us. He stood there and was convicted as a sinner and died for our sins as our substitute before a holy God. He was there as the sacrifice for us. The only sacrifice, the blood sacrifice that he was willing to shed to pay for our sins, not his. What he did, he did for us. We find that... (laughs) In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, we find that not only was he a substitute for us and a sacrifice for us, but he actually was sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. Hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. For us, who knew no sin, he was sinless. But he became sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ actually became sin for us so that God could look upon us in all of our faults and every time that we failed him and everything that we've got wrong and yet see the righteousness of God. You know, as long as I've been a Christian and as many times as I've read God's Word and as many sermons as I've preached, I still can't grasp how that God could love me that much, how that Jesus Christ would be willing to stand there and be guilty in my place, how that He would be willing to give Himself as the sacrifice to pay for my sin how that he, the sinless, holy, righteous God, would become sin for me so that I could be the righteousness of God. You see, that's a love that's bigger than I can imagine, and yet I believe it and I trust it and I hold it with everything that's within me, and yet I can't comprehend something that big. I still don't know why he would do it for me. Wow. But I believe it with all of my heart this evening. We need to recognize, for he hath made him to be sin for us. (laughs) I was reading one commentator on these verses, and he began in 
He was very honest. He said, I can give you the Greek on this, and I can tell you how that it was in the this tense and the, that area and all this that means that it happened then, but it was a one-time thing, and it's, it's done now and all these things. But he said, you know, with all of that, I cannot begin to reach to the depths of this one verse in God's Word of Jesus Christ becoming sin for us. We find that he did it, though. We're here to remember him this evening because he did it for us. And I want to give you one other verse in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. You know, sometimes in our minds, <coughs> and when we're praying or when we're talking about him, we're doing all these different things. You know, sometimes we're distinguishing between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and Sometimes we're just talking to all of them, and all of them are, are God. And, and yet we find that here in this verse, he shows us again, not only was it God the Father that planned and ordained everything that took place, but notice he says here, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know, Brother Steve, even, even in all of my human weaknesses and all of my failings and shortcomings and everything, you know, I can relate to this fact of how much a father loves his child. I, I, I can understand that, you know, when it comes right down to it, you know, You'd be hard-pressed to find anything in this world that a father or a mother wouldn't do for their own child, to protect that child, to make sure that child's safe, to make sure that child knows that it's loved, and all of these things. And yet then I try to grasp, you know, well, as much as I love my child, I love a lot of people in this world. I love a lot of you dearly. But when you start trying, would I be willing to give my child, literally, to see my child suffer what Jesus suffered for you? Do you know many people that would do it for you? I, I can't grasp it. And yet, that's what it says that God spared not his own son, Romani. He spared it because he, he literally he gave him up to go through everything that he went through for us because he loved us that much, but delivered him up for us all. I know one thing that I think of when I read this. I'm sure that you've met some just like I have that are foolish enough to think that they're going to stand before God one day that because they've tried to be a good person, because they've had a genuine love for God, because they've done their religious things, because of all these things, that they'll be able to stand there one day and be able to somehow 
talked away into heaven. And yet, the Bible says he spared not his own son. Well, I can tell you this. That's pretty brainless thinking when you begin to think if God wouldn't spare his own son, if a person is not willing to accept what he did for them, all the talking and all the religion, all the good deeds in the world aren't going to accomplish because God paid the ultimate price. They've got to be willing to believe and humble themselves and accept that. You see, it was Jesus, and you've heard me say it many times, that when he was there in the upper room with his apostles before that he went to face all that he faced on Calvary, it was Jesus that instituted this table there with his apostles in that upper room. Now, we find many places in Scripture, folks, where that Jesus was out there with the multitudes, and the multitudes were giving thanks, and the multitudes were, were eating, and he was performing miracles and feeding them all and all of these things. And yet there was something special about this that we call the Lord's Supper. <laughs> he didn't just do that out there with the multitudes. He did it with his apostles. They were the foundation of his church that he himself was going to build. And as he gave it, it's because that, remember, the Bible says he loved his church and gave himself for it because his church is not the building, and it's not organized religion. His church is you and I. God has put a group of people together here that we call Bethel Free Baptist Church. Why? Because we're a group of believers that are in agreement on certain doctrines and practices that we come together and we worship together, and we are a body of Christ that we want to serve him through this place. We want to see him magnified in this place. Find that when Jesus gave it to him, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Folks, there is no other foundation to build upon. It's the only foundation. Whether it's this church or any other church out there, if they build upon any other foundation, other than the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he built his church. He calls his apostles the, the foundation that later, but Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. We find that as we come here this evening, some 2,000 years later, it was for us that he did what he did. It was for us when he died upon that cross. He was a substitute for us. He was a sacrifice for us in meeting all the requirements that was required of a holy God. We find that even when he gave the Lord's table, he gave it for us that here, all this time later, that we could do it in remembrance of him. The great songwriter said, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. It's Jesus that we remember this evening.
As we come around this table this evening, may I encourage you here this evening. It's a time that, as you come, that the Lord wants us to be able to, yes, to have that sweet fellowship with Him and with one another as a body of Christ. We find that as we come this evening, it's also a time of examining because it's the sin that breaks that fellowship. So he challenges us to examine ourselves. He challenges us not to eat of that bread or drink of that cup unworthily. We can't take like this. You're here and you don't know that you're saved. And you don't need this bread and this cup. You need the Jesus that we're remembering when we take it, and may it be a testimony to you. Because the thing you need this evening is not to partake of a church ordinance, but to partake of the real thing, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we're remembering. He's the one that will save your soul this evening. If you're here as a Christian, then may I say your very first step of obedience is that you should follow the Lord in believer's baptism to identify yourself with Him. And you ought to be part of a New Testament Bible-believing church. Almost all of the New Testament. That's not because you got to be part of this church or that there is any perfect church. God tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. He says, but exhorting one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be together to encourage and to strengthen each other, but we need to be together as a body because as the body of Christ and Him as our head, even everything that we do should be for the whole. Together. Jesus Christ could be seen through this place in the service of this place. We come together to remember Him because it's all about Him. You're here and you're lost this evening. I hope that before you leave here, that if you've got questions, you come to us, but that you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're not walking where you ought to, then may I encourage you this evening, this is the time. This is the time. Not tomorrow, not next week. If there's something in your life that you need to deal with it, right now is the time to do it. The Lord wants that fellowship with you this evening. He doesn't want that sin in your life to be separating you. Christians, if there's something not just not right between you and God, but between you and a brother or sister in Christ, now's the time to get it right. Now's the time. Don't let that cancer eat away. We saw some of those things this morning of what that gossip and evil speaking will do. We come to remember the Lord this evening. We're going to take right now just a few Moments of silent prayer. I want to encourage you to open your heart this evening to Him. I want to encourage you right now. My prayer would be that each and every one of us this evening, whatever your condition is right now, that you'll do whatever is necessary when we leave this place this evening. We can all leave in closer fellowship with our Lord than when we came. That if there's something there that needs to be dealt with, it'll be got out of the way so that we can leave 
in oneness with him. As we bow our heads and as we ask God to show us if there's anything in our lives, Christians, pray. Remember your Lord. Ask him to show you in your heart if there be anything that is in the way of your fellowship with him this evening as we pray quietly. Father, I do thank you again this evening for this time that you have given us together. I pray, Lord, as you look upon our hearts and you see that which, Lord, none of us can see in each other. <laughs> I pray, Lord, that you would search our hearts. I pray that you would show us, Lord, if there be anything there. We recognize and realize our imperfections. We realize that any worthiness that we have this evening will only be that which causes us to be worthy in Christ. Father, we pray now that as we come to take of this bread and this cup, there will be nothing we know of that would be separating us and our Savior whom we're remembering. Father, I pray that as we remember him this evening, Lord, that as we remember the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed on Calvary, Lord, that we will remember this simple truth that what he did, he did for us. We thank you, Lord, for loving us beyond even our understanding and our comprehension. But, Father, we thank you once again this evening that we can come around this table, those that are united in heart. And Lord, that you have united here as your body upon this earth. Lord, I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon our time together. And may what we do bring glory and honor to you. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you.